This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. It should be an excellent school in every community. Enjoy the show. Well, my name is Scott Lewis. I'm from the Voice of San Diego. And I'm Laura Cohn from the Education Synergy Alliance. Hi, Laura. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well. Good. So we had that uh, quasi-debate last week <laughs> on Good Schools for All about the County Board of Education. Yes, we talked to both candidates anyway. We talked to Greg Robinson and then called uh, his opponent, Mark Powell. Greg, of course, is the incumbent on the County Board of Education. If you don't know what the County Board of Education is or the County Office of Education... Uh, I'd recommend you go back to the previous podcast episode and listen to that. I thought it was helpful in explaining that. Uh, Mark Powell uh, would not come and debate Greg Robinson. Uh, Robinson is uh, is a teacher in the community college district, a member of the American Federation of Teachers, and Mark Powell is this uh, is trying to you know oust him from that seat, and he's a critic of the teachers union and, and uh, th- got into that a little bit in the discussion. We did. And um, part of the reason Mark didn't want to come on the show is he said he was still sore about a mailer about a race that he had uh, been in in 2012 for this for the city school district and uh, how mean it had been to him and and wrong. And I got home literally that uh, night it posted and um, I had a mailer from uh, the American Federation of Teachers in my mailbox. And it's it's really it's just savage on Mark Powell. Uh, it makes fun of some of the jobs and things he's tried to do, and um, and there's one part here that really caught my eye. Says so says all these things he wanted to do. What's next? Is he going to try to be a professional karaoke singer? Which hmm. I, they have a picture of him with a microphone, so I guess that's their joke. But it says now the Charter Schools Association wants to hire him to be an education board member to help them divert public education resources to private pockets. What? All right. And then it says its source Nonsense. is, there's a little asterisk, and then its source is Voice of San Diego. So it's like, wow. Oh, there you go. I didn't write, I don't remember us writing that. <laughs> so I, I, so let's break this down because this is interesting. Now. But I just have to note that this is funded. It says it's funded by the American Federation of Teachers and Mark's complaint was about uh, an attack by a mailer by the American Federation of Teachers in a campaign he did in 2012. So he yeah. came and we, right back. And we asked Greg Robinson why uh, he, or why the American Federation of Teachers is, is interested in this in this board, they don't have any unions uh, at that represent the employees of the district, or, and and he's like, well, they just care about education. All right, well, so they also do not like Mark, and so let's let's read this. In. Now the Charter Schools Association wants to hire him to be an education board member. Okay, this is like they're trying to imply corruption with that, right? They're trying to say like they are hiring him, paying him to be an education board member. So that's as far as we know, not true. If they have evidence of that. 
that would be interesting to see, but that's not something Voice San Diego <laughs> reported. Uh, so that's the first the first interesting uh, shade they throw at him there. The second one is um, to help them divert public education resources to private pockets. This is a canard that uh, comes up a lot about uh, charter schools um, as as though they're just an effort to privatize uh, educational resources. Um, and j- just to be clear, it's completely misleading. Um, most, the vast majority of charter schools are nonprofit organizations. There are a few that are not nonprofit, but it's not, nobody's getting rich off of them. Well, and they use, uh, yeah, sure. They sometimes use technology companies. They sometimes use management companies, uh, to, to pay for things, but so does the schools. I mean, the Absolutely. schools, schools hire contractors to build things. They, uh, buy laptops from companies that aren't, aren't <laughs> public companies. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of, of, of investments that happen in the everyday school and you can't call all that, uh, uh privatization anyway. Uh, just just as a fact check on this particular mail, if we get that, Voice San Diego did not <laughs> report that uh, the Charter Schools Association wants to hire. They, we did a story about how they support Powell, and uh, it does seem like that race is heating up like we thought it would. Uh, we've had a few comments come in. It's, I'm very excited about how many people are listening to Good Schools for All and, uh, and using our voicemail. And if you're ever interested in giving us feedback on the shows that you hear or your own testimony about things that you, your child, your teacher, or your student, or anybody is dealing with, um, that would be great to hear. You can always call 619-354-1085. That's 619-354-1085. And we've got a couple here I wanted to play. The first one is from a man named David Thatcher. My name is David Thatcher, and I live in National City. Um, I'm calling about the issue with kindergarten being the new first grade, and that is so true. It is the new first grade, and uh, as a result, transitional kindergarten is the new kindergarten. Um, when our oldest child went into kindergarten, um, he was pretty much expected to be classroom ready. Um, there was no play like you might think when you had kindergarten, very few breaks, got two 15 minute breaks and a 30 minute lunch. That was it. That's when they had to use the bathroom. There's no bathroom in the class. Um, it's, you know, they're, they're expected to have levels of focus and self-control that are not necessarily normal for that age. And so these kids are pushed in ways that they're just, they're just not ready. Um, and if you're not classroom ready by the time you hit kindergarten or you don't ramp up quickly, you're going to fall behind. And then that just sets you up um, for failure down the road. Now, our younger son, we are aggressively prepping him for kindergarten because we know what he's going to face. Boy, uh, so many things are problematic in that testimony. Um but first of all, the idea that transitional kindergarten is the new kindergarten, that just won't work since transitional kindergarten is only available to 25% yeah, of that. kids. Yeah, that, that really... But it seems to be the case, though. There's like, like that previous caller from Sally who said, you know, that her, she got blamed for not putting her kids in transitional kindergarten, even though she wasn't eligible for it. Oh, yeah. And what I, I, I'm starting to get the impression that parents aren't just making this up. It's being communicated to them by elementary school um, teachers or, or officials. And so we really need to get past that, that issue. But the other aspect of this that um, we really need to work on as a community is the no play in kindergarten thing. Because kids who are five and six years old, they, they learn through play. They learn through doing. All, all of us do, actually. But it's especially important to give kindergartners structured time to play. Now, we're not talking about 
just go off and do your own thing, um, children. We're talking about play that's designed for learning. And it's very possible and it's appropriate and should be happening in all of our kindergarten classrooms. Hopefully your son is experiencing um, really good structured um, play in his kindergarten. And I hate to hear that there are kindergartners um, in our community who aren't getting that. All right. This other uh, voicemail came in from a woman who's kind of having the opposite problem. This is Caroline McCown um, calling about something Scott said on the school's podcast. You mentioned your son going, um, you know, possibly going from TK directly into first. And it made me realize that people always comment on how we're failing our special needs kids, but no one comments on, about how we're failing our, our exceptional ch- children. And I know that sounds like, oh, poor me, my kid is too smart. But it's a real problem. I My son skipped first grade, went directly from kindergarten to second, because he was bored out of his mind. He could do all the work, and he um, was becoming a behavior problem and spending a lot of days in the principal's office. And she said, you know what, let's, let's bump this kid up and challenge him some more. He's now in fourth grade, and he's still kind of bored, but we found other ways to channel that energy for him. So this brings us, I think, to our theme of the week, which is about personalized learning. We are going to spend a little bit of time explaining what personalized learning is and uh, and talk to somebody in the community who is um, putting it into practice and, and, and at least uh, growing her school as a result. And so, you know, I don't know what personalized learning is. <laughs> Your job is to teach me things. So teach me <laughs> what, what is the, this concept has been around for a while, right? It has been around for a while. I think that term you can, um, you know, look back several decades and hear it, but it's really taking off right now in the larger national community and and including here in San Diego in pockets. Um, a lot of charter schools use the term, but also a lot of our school districts, Coronado, Vista, Cone Valley, um, are all districts that are that have personalized learning as one of their central objectives for the school district. So. Um, I proposed this topic for us, Scott, because I wanted to make sure that I understood what personalized learning was a little better and, and then help our listeners to understand it, too. The idea being maybe some of these both of these issues could be addressed if it wasn't so if it were if we weren't trying to create something for a whole class of kids, for a whole grade of kids. And instead, we're trying to create exactly what each kid needed that that seems to make more sense that, that, that you know, some kids are going to be farther ahead. Some kids are going to be farther behind they each need almost their own individualized plan. Now that might be hard to do in 1980 with books and copy machines and stuff like that. But, but now we have actual technology that, you know, as creepy as it gets sometimes is getting pretty personalized out there. (laughs) Um, It can be creepy, can't it? But yeah, that's the, that's what's driving the emergence of this idea of personal personalized learning is technology. So one-to-one devices enable um, teachers and schools, and this is across all levels, TK to 12, to have kids working on software that um, has them working on the skills that they need to work on right at that moment and moving at their own pace. And then the teacher does diagnostics on a nightly basis, ideally, to see how the students are doing and helps um, give them extra support in areas where they're struggling. And she or he can group students who are struggling with the same things and give them a little deeper dive. Um, but also it, it allows kids like Caroline's to zoom ahead if that's 
Um, if that's what they're ready to do, then they can just move, move, move. And then um, for kids who are behind, it allows the teacher to figure out where their weaknesses are and to give them extra doses of help with um, those weak areas. And But the, the central idea is student-centered learning um, so that it's really about each individual student having their own path and finding their own motivations and inspiration, which is a pretty wonderful concept. Right now, it's mainly something, or historically, it's something we've mainly applied to special education students who, by federal law, um, each of them gets an individualized learning or education plan, sorry, IEP. And now, with the advent of this technology, it's becoming available to more and more students, and schools and uh, classrooms are adopting it as their central practice. I'm just suspecting that if you went to a traditional school and said, hey, everybody needs an IEP, they might get a little nervous, but they're the the idea of you know like what uh, we're going to talk to Nicole Temple Assisi uh, on the show here, and she's running a uh, a charter school in town called Thrive Public School, which apparently has some news coming out soon, but she wouldn't share the exact details of. Mm-hmm. But um, but that's her whole idea is like let's do personalized learning for every single kid that comes in. We'll keep track of them. We'll you know maybe uh, be a little bit more loose on what grades they're in, but just, but just make sure that they're, they're each in advancing from wherever they start. And it seems like uh, that the idea of a charter school doing that is not just to help the kids that, or just to see what the kids achieve when they're in that system, but if it works to potentially spread some of those ideas to the broader district and the broader region, and if not the broader system as a whole, and what would it, I guess I still don't understand what it would take. It, it boggles my mind, actually, to try to picture the school district as a whole saying, all right, now we're going to do personalized learning for 110,000 students. Yeah. Uh, so among other, there are so many things that need to be in place for personalized learning the way we're talking about it to happen. And one of them is connectivity. I actually had a conversation with my son's high school principal and asked why I wasn't seeing more personalized learning. And he said, well, do you understand that we don't have Wi-Fi across this school right now? And I actually didn't. So (laughs) that was news to me. And he reassured me that coming this summer, they're getting the school wired. Thank goodness. But if you don't have connectivity, you really can't try and adopt these um, technologies. Although Nicole said that there may be workarounds. Yeah, she pointed out that that after after we did the interview, she pointed out that she, um, they, they didn't even have internet service to their building in City Heights uh, that they they had had to dig a trench for. It's like, that makes me think there might be a story in how many other people in in City Heights don't have access uh, to, you know, landline internet. But the more important uh, thing in terms of thinking about taking personalized learning to scale is it's a whole different way of teaching. I mean, really a radically different approach to how you um, help kids acquire knowledge about how you manage your classroom, behavior, expectations. I mean, it's really a different philosophy of education. And so um, anything that's that, that's going to be that big of a change in how teachers teach, it's going to take a while to roll it out. But what we see in districts um, that are really embracing this in San Diego County, uh, Grossmont Union is another one that I know is working on this, that they do, they find the teachers who have enthusiasm for this approach. They equip them with whatever software and hardware they need to do the work. And um, Grossmont, for example, empowers some, uh, I think they call them technology ninjas. So they're um, 
enabling these teachers. So, so they're planting seeds of teachers who want to do personalized learning using one-to-one technology across their district and help have, using them to help spread the gospel within their schools. So there are different approaches that districts are taking to spreading this approach, um, but it is going to take a while. Hmm. Well, that brings me or us to our number of the week. So our number of the week, um, actually it's two numbers. It's uh, 11% for math and 8% for reading. Those are the um, differences between the students who attended personalized learning schools in a study by the RAND Corporation and the kids who are similar in demographic, similar in background to them, um, but didn't attend personalized learning schools. So it's looking based on this RAND study that after the two years that they studied among these 62 schools nationwide, that there was a pretty substantial difference um, in outcomes, at least on reading and math assessments for kids who are in these personalized learning environments. And just for perspective, those that's actually a big difference in, in the education world to get that kind of a, a gain or a difference um, is very impressive. And what's working? What's working is the Mobile Technology Learning Center at the University of San Diego. This is a group of folks, some former superintendents, some former teachers, um, under the um, leadership of Scott Himmelstein. They're helping schools and districts across our region and actually across the country to, as they adopt and integrate technology into their schools and their districts, to do it in a way that's going to actually make a difference for learning. So including personal, um, introducing personalized learning approaches. So they do research, they do um, sort of assessments of what your current technology integration is looking like and how you might want to change that, and then they do coaching and professional development for teachers. And they just last weekend, um, earlier in May, held a conference for um, educators across San Diego who want to learn more about integrating technology and using it to personalize learning. Um, So they're really helping our whole region embrace personalized learning. All right, we're joined in the Great Voice of San Diego podcast studio with um, Nicole Temple-Assisi, who is the CEO of Thrive Public Schools. And Nicole, welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you both for having me. Thank you for coming. Uh, So Talk to us first. Um, what is Thrive, and and you know how did that get established? I'd love to. Uh, so Thrive is really an effort to reimagine education. We currently have an elementary, a middle school, and opening a high school this coming year, with the purpose of personalizing students' learning experiences and really realizing that one size doesn't fit all for kids. And so right now we serve about. Two to 400, 200 students this year, 400 students next year, and have the opportunity and the capacity as a charter authorized by the State Board of Education to serve up to 1,500 kids. So much work still lies ahead. All right. Thrive right now is in the City Heights area, right? City Heights College area? We are, correct. And um, you have, how many, you said 200 students there right now? Uh, 200 students this year, and we just did our lottery for next year, and we're growing to 400. And how many apply? for the lottery? We had over 500 applicants, More about 550. Spots. Absolutely, yeah. All right. And so you said you're going to expand to middle school and so you're going to go full K-12. That's the vision. Wow. And uh, do you have to get another charter authorization to do that through the state? Or? No. So we currently have a charter authorized to be a K-12 through school. 
Mm-hmm. And do you have transitional kindergarten? We do, actually. I always group it in with kindergarten. But yeah, TK, which is for families whose child is born between September and December. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, just to um, establish things. So you you came with this idea a couple of years ago. We covered this. You were uh, applied to be a charter school within the San Diego Unified School District. Uh, they The staff recommended you, but then it was later uh, notoriously thrown out. And then you went to the county and the county uh, rejected that appeal. And you went all the way to the state and you got the charter through the state, which means that San Diego Unified doesn't actually oversee your charter or its authorization. Um, that it's it's the state, the state board of education, right? Correct. We report directly to the state board of education. And is that does that change over time, or does that is that the way it's going to be for now on? Great question. So it's actually it's for five year terms. So each charter petition gets approved for anywhere between you know one to or up to five years. Every five years you have to renew, and so as a uh, charter school, we will need to renew in another three years, and we'll start first locally, um, and can then renew at the state level if that doesn't work out for us. Are there any advantages or disadvantages to to reporting to the state and not to the local district? I think for us, there's just a lot more autonomy uh, in working with the state. Uh, Also a much larger global vision at the state, less local politics, local challenges, and really just for us, a focus on our instructional program. All right. Well, which brings us to our topic today, which was personalized learning. Uh, what does that mean to you? I mean, we've, we've been spending the last few minutes sort of deconstructing that, what it means to us, but what does it mean to you and how does it, how does it look in practice? What's interesting that you asked, because I think personalized learning can sort of take on two shapes or two forms, as you all have been exploring a bit. Uh, It's the idea that students drive their own learning on one hand, and on the other hand, it's this idea that technology enhances learning. And at Thrive, both of those are, are true. We try to put learning directly in the hands of learners. So our students starting in kindergarten, they know their reading level. They know what goals they're trying to achieve, and they're actively working towards that. Three times a year, they meet with their families, and they share what they're doing, where they need to go, and what's next. So rather than uh, making parent-teacher conferences, this dialogue between a parent and just the teacher, this is the student at the center of their learning saying, hey, mom, this is what I'm doing, and uh, hey, teacher, this is what we need to work on next. And that's a big focus for us. The other piece is that we really try to use technology to enhance students' learning experiences. So they're not online all day, not even close to it. I mean, at the early years in kindergarten, TK, they spend about 30, 45 minutes on the computer. But really students, what that does is that students work at their just right place. And the computer can offer different lessons specifically on what that student is hoping to achieve, whether it's, you know, blending early sounds, letter recognition, um, uh, syntax, whatever that student's working on, they receive a personalized lesson and personalized practice through technology. The teacher receives that data and is then able to adapt and create lessons and work in a small group and one-on-one with the students. So, Nicole, I, I think walk us into a Thrive classroom, and if you don't mind, contrast that with um, what it might be like to walk into a, um, a regular classroom. Gladly. So at Thrive, when you walk into a learning space, what you'll immediately notice is that the students are all actively engaged. 
they're all working on something. And unlike in a traditional classroom where the students are usually all facing forward, facing towards the whiteboard, towards the teacher, at Thrive, they're all facing each other. And some of them might be working in a small group with an instructor, but there is no kid kind of staring out into space, not knowing what to do, twiddling their thumbs, um, writing a note to their their friend, they're on task working on what they need to know. And the reason that is, is because they're really clear about what they need to reach the next level. And so usually in most classrooms at Thrive, there are three to four stations. Uh, One of those stations is with a teacher. You'll have anywhere between one to five students working in a small group with a teacher on whatever concept they need to learn. There'll be another group of students working on technology. Uh, Those technology programs will be specifically calibrated to make sure the student is working on and practicing whatever they worked on with a teacher or whatever's next in their learning plan. Then there's usually a manipulative or hands-on learning station where students are building, deconstructing, and practicing with their hands without technology. Um, and in the literacy classrooms, the the fourth station is, is usually just a, a reading station where kids get to read to themselves, read to a friend, uh, read to some stuffed animal sometimes mm-hmm. uh, at their specific learning level based on what they know their reading level to be. Is that consistent all the way through the grades or are, are we talking about young children in this situation? Uh, this specifically is what it looks like in kindergarten through eighth grade. As the students get older, Older, there are still multiple tasks that they're working on, but rather than students moving from one task to the next based on a specific set uh, set time from the teacher, students get older, they move more fluidly based on their own schedule. So in a middle school classroom, for example, students know they have four tasks to complete. And they tackle those four tasks based on what makes sense for them. You know, they'll start in Google Classroom and they'll see, you know, these are the things that we need to do. Um, they'll then log into the, one of their online learning programs. They'll conference with their teacher. They'll work with their peers on a project that they're working towards. It's more in their hands where at the younger level, those groups and those stations are set and so that the students rotate from one to the other in a more organized fashion. So you mentioned that students are all on task, but there are some students who have a harder time being on task than um, other students. So how does this personalized learning um, approach, how does it work for kids who are maybe um, maybe not inclined to self-motivate? Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that contrast with how they might function in a regular classroom? Well, I think in most traditional classrooms, there's usually... I'm going to divide this up arbitrarily, but there's usually a third of the kids for who the content is too easy for. There's another third who it's too hard for. And then there's this third in the middle that's kind of at their just right learning spot. And unless you're at that just right space, you know, educators call that zone of proximal development. So unless you're in this zone, uh, you're really not able to engage and, and really move forward. And that's when kids usually check out. It's too easy. It's too hard. I don't know what to do. It creates a lot more behavior problems. Uh, what's great about Thrive is that whether you're two grades ahead of your peers in reading or maybe a grade behind in math, you're engaging at that just right moment. You're working in your zone, and so you're able to focus a lot more, and it becomes less defeating. And at the end of the week, students can look at their data. They log into the program and see the progress that they've made, and so that motivation comes from this realization, wow, 
I'm growing. I'm learning. And that's really exciting for them. And checking in with kids at the end of the week is usually my favorite thing because even the kindergartners will show me these bar graphs and say like, hey, Nicole, check it out. Like this is where I was before. And right now I'm rocking it in geometry. And just to see that sort of ownership of learning is, is really fun. So are there grades when we were talking to, to – uh... Uh, the guy, the former head of the Gates Foundation, who has that company, said like the future of the grade levels mm-hmm. themselves, first grade, second grade might be in doubt. Do you guys still have grades there? We group students loosely together, um, but it's more based on age. And so at Thrive, uh, we usually group students kind of in a range that ends up spanning two grade levels. So there's a TKK class, a first and second grade class, a third and fourth grade class. And it's interesting because when I first speak to educators that have been in districts where multi-age classes or sort of combo combo classes have been put in place because of financial reasons, Mm -hmm. right? We didn't have enough kids here, so we just throw them together. But it's a really different feeling at Thrive because kids are just working on their just right learning level. And so we need these spans so that students have enough other kids to work with that are in that same zone as them and to have peers that can challenge them, peers that can support them, small groups that teachers create to, to help students move forward. Yeah, that's like the comment we got from David Thatcher, the voicemail we played earlier, whose son was, you know, he was worried about uh, getting him up to speed for that. And then and then the other woman who said her son or her children were were you know, progressing too far and not being challenged. And so that's what you're trying to design this for is to change it. Now, one of the questions I have is about what that actually looks like. Do you guys have a, a database at the central computer that you look and say, boy, Johnny's, you know, going behind and, and, and Rachel's doing really well. And, 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 and then you develop strategies off that, or does the, does the technology work itself and the teachers control that? Both, actually. Mm -hmm. So the different online learning programs that we use will adapt with the students and will grow with the students. They will also generate uh, worksheets, problems that kids can take home. They will print out lesson plans that parents can use at home to support that student. Um, But they'll also provide daily data to the teacher like, hey, this kid got it or this student's stuck. The other piece of that is three times a year at Thrive, we give students an assessment that isn't based on their grade level, but think of learning as a continuum. You know, you start learning at at some point and it goes all the way through college level content. And so we place students on that continuum. So rather than thinking about are they in first grade or second grade, we, we just think about where are they on this path to college? Because we all move at different paces. Uh, the analogy I give to parents sometimes is, you know, they're, they're usually, and even in this room, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you can bench press a whole lot more than me, Scott, just, yeah. to, just to name that. So much um, more. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're both working. And if we both were to go to the gym, we would use different weights and train and would both be challenging ourselves. And, you know, maybe Laura's more of a runner and the pace that she runs might be different than how we both run. But ultimately, if we were a sports team, let's say a, a football team or something, we would all be one team where the quarterback throws more, you know, the the linebacker needs to block and uh, everybody has their role. And I think when learning is working really well and when a classroom is working really well, it's when everybody's working at their own level and is challenging themselves and moving forward. And so at Thrive, we always check to make sure students are progressing at least a year from wherever they are, because the goal is to not 
remain stationary. Whether you're, you know, a couple grades ahead or a couple grades below, you have to keep moving. And we measure our own success with our students making the growth and the progress that they need to because we have to move them forward and we can't just leave any of them behind or forget about them. Especially, I think sometimes families feel that when their kids are accelerated, when they're, you know, a couple grades ahead and they go, oh, my kid's just bored in class or they're not moving. And the teachers go, well, that's fine, you know, because they're already advanced. What do you want? Well, kids need to learn, right? Like their brain needs to keep exercising and working. Just like if we were all in a gym, we would all need to keep pushing ourselves. And that's what we hope to do. Tell us about kids who are behind, though. So Mm -hmm. sometimes when you... Um, or what I would what I worry about is that if you give these um, individualized personalized learning opportunities to students, maybe the kids who are ahead already might just sort of take off, whereas the kids who are behind um, might never catch up. Maybe catch up isn't the right idea, but can you accelerate? Can you use your approach to accelerate the learning of kids who come to thrive behind where they need to be? So that's definitely the intention behind what we do is to accelerate students and to move them forward and to really look at, um, we sometimes talk about complex learners. You know, every kid is a lot more complex and there's a lot more to them. And so how do you work with these complex learners to help them bridge these gaps? Why is the student behind in the first place? And is it just the need for more individualized instruction? Is it the need for more practice? And then students get at Thrive a personalized learning plan that tries to sort of create the the fitness plan, the workout plan um, for that specific learner. Do they need to do uh, additional homework time? Do they need social emotional counseling? Do they need uh, a mentor or a guide, or is it just a lack of instruction and knowledge? And that's all captured. Or all of the above. Uh, correct. Yeah. 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 So as we go through this process with our own, uh, you know, we think about things like individual education plan IEPs. Mm-hmm. Is a, a, you know, it's a ubiquitous term in some schools. You're talking about an IEP for everyone. Oh, pretty much. Uh, it's the idea that every kid needs something different. And I think in education, we're finally realizing that. I think even historically, I mean, the term personalized learning, I think, became popular. Was it like the 1970s when people started talking about personalization? Uh, But it became too hard to do for teachers because without technology, it's just you're just working so hard to personalize for every kid. You're uh, finding different resources, printing off things. And so I think right now we're in a really exciting moment because technology is finally somewhere where it can support teachers and where we can take the busy work off the teacher. Well, what tech do you use? Is there a special software? Uh, we use uh, a really a a suite of different technologies. So we have in kindergarten, we use something called ST math um, for mathematics, which stands for spatial temporal math. It's all about thinking about like space and um, how numbers exist, how they physically have sort of a a presence and how you manipulate numbers. Uh, We use something. You're blowing their mind that early on existential stuff. (laughs) Yes. Uh, (laughs) uh, We use Lexia as another program we use, um, but we have something really exciting happening next year for our high school, which is um, a partnership that we'll uh, formally announce later this summer, but it's with a social media giant to sort of personalize students' pathways to to really enhance and support what the teacher is doing. So stay tuned for that. Does the company rhyme with Facebook? 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it might or might not. Uh, I don't know anything, by the way. That was just a bad joke. Um, so uh, just some, some specific questions. Now, do you actually, uh, as a state uh, authorized charter, do you pull students from all over the region? Can anyone go to this? Yeah, it's. Uh, we sometimes laugh about uh, how far some of our families travel because we have some pe- people who come all the way to from Temecula mm-hmm. to Solana Beach in La Jolla to San Isidro, Ramona. Um, so half of our Goodness. families travel really far. And the other half are actually within like a one mile radius. And that's by design. I mean, Thrive really tries to be diverse by design because we feel that the best way for kids to learn is with kids um, from all walks of life. So if a student comes from the school, the San Diego Unified School District, it doesn't really make any difference uh, money-wise if it comes from there or or if if a student comes from Grossmont or something. Correct. We receive the same funding for all students. Via the state. Mm Mm-hmm. What's the what? Are, what motivations do parents tell you they have for those long commutes for their kids' education? Their stories are all really different. You know, some families want a less stressful, less hectic approach to education. They just feel like, hey, look, my kid's going to be in college soon enough. It'll be really tough. Let them be a kid right now. Mm-hmm. Other families want the opposite, right? They feel like my school's not rigorous enough. My kid's not being challenged. I want more challenge for my kids. Uh, some families seek just a more diverse school system, uh, a place where their kids with with other students. What do you mean, let them be kids? Is there is there less homework or something like that? So, uh, uh, on the note of homework, I mean, research shows that there's little to no impact uh, from kids doing homework before high school. The data just doesn't support it. And so we try to be really data-driven and adapt to what best practices and research says. So there is very little, if any, homework. We do expect kids you know, to read on a regular basis. Um, but we try to really make sure that we maximize the time where they're in school. Because if you think about it, your kids are, you know, they get there at eight, they leave at three about for most systems. How much more do they need to be, uh, you know, performing well. And if that's not enough, um, you know, how much, how much more is enough and why aren't we using those seven hours where they're with us in better ways where they're actually using that time. Now Thrive is in uh, the college area, the the city Heights, um, area. You, uh, I've been uh, just, I haven't actually been inside, but I did look at the outside of the building. It's not so nice, right? Yeah, you know, people usually don't come to us for our spectacular <laughs> facilities. So is that changing? Uh, we definitely hope so. So keep your fingers crossed. Um, we have entered into escrow on a facility, and hopefully we'll be announcing something mid-end summer. Um, and then we'll be constructing all year and opening a brand new building in 2017 for the next school year, which will be really exciting. But in the meantime, we'll be in our humble abode in City Heights. And you'll 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 need to expand if you're gonna do all these high school kids and stuff like that. Exactly. Do you do you actually get any um support from San Diego Unified for your facilities under Prop thirty nine? So we did put in a Prop thirty nine request. We're still waiting to hear back from the district, but you know, again, I mean, even if any of your listeners know of like a plot of land, a facility, and they're like, this would be great for Thrive, I'll make them call you because we're always looking for facilities. Like I said, our charter allows us to serve a lot more students than we're currently serving. We have a big wait list of families who want to be in our school. And, you know, our biggest barrier right now is facilities. Well, so what I'm trying to think about scalability. So 
first of all, do you see the approach to education that you're, you're using at Thrive to be the future of education? Do you think that in 10, 20 years, most public education is going to look more like Thrive than it does today? Or do you think this is um, an approach to education that's going to be really good for some families and kids and not the right choice for other families and kids? I think education's definitely shifting, and I think it'll continue to shift. I think the biggest barrier to more schools not looking like Thrive is is often the change management process, right? Like, whatever it takes for us to change a staff of 20, it's exponentially harder for, you know, a staff of 100 or a district that has thousands of employees. You know, how do you get teachers trained? How do you do all that? But I think... Well, not only that, but you've been able to hire teachers who are drawn to your model and want to teach in your setup, whereas a, a regular school has teachers who don't have that in their in their vision at all, perhaps. Uh, yeah. And so I think it'll take some time, but I, I think there'll be an increased demand from families. And I think that, you know, you, you love numbers, so you probably know this number already, but right now only one out of four kindergartners is graduating college. Right. And that's problematic. It is. We need to do something about that. And if you follow those students, you know that those students that don't graduate college will actually never pay enough in taxes over their lifetime to pay back the cost of their education. So 75% of students will never make enough money to pay back what it costs to educate them. So we have a system that is completely broken and not sustainable, and we have to do something. Whether they'll look exactly like Thrive, probably not. But I think more and more we have to adapt to students if we want our society to to shift, if we want it to become sustainable, if we want to take better care of our futures. Well, uh, Nicole Temple-Assisi, thanks for joining us today. You, you have some announcements coming up, it sounds like, so we'll pay attention for those. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to have you. Take care. Well, interesting stuff from Nicole. I appreciate her coming on. If you have a school in mind or anything that uh, you think deserves some attention from the best local education podcast uh, that exists, right, in San Diego, pretty much? Yeah. Give us a call, please. We, we are looking for ideas. We want to know what you want to know. So uh, let us know. Yeah. Call. So you can always call that voicemail at 619-354-1085. That's 619-354-1085. And let us know if there's something you think we should pursue or if you uh, leave your name and uh, where you're calling from and you can talk about uh, something your own student or teacher or uh, whomever is going through and we would love to hear it and and perhaps run it. And you can also reach us on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Good Schools for All. Thanks for listening.